Sun. Uh, this is the Tuesday Memo Podcast. I'm Eric Fruits, a Portland area economist. I also have a blog over at econminute.com uh, and also have an Econ Minute podcast that you can download on econminute.com. And my name is Ann Sanderson, and I'm a small business owner here in Portland, and I am someone who believes in win-win. And today we're going to be talking about winning because we're going to be talking about our local elections. The filing date opened on September 10th for all comers to take on the incumbents in this year's elections. And who did we get? Well, so far, not a lot of people have actually signed up and done the paperwork to to run, but we've had quite a few announcements. We've had uh, announcements in the mayor's race. We know that our current mayor, Charlie Hales, is running for re-election. We also know that the current state treasurer, Ted Wheeler, is running for re-election. And for election. He wants for to... election. He's running for mayor now. Right. Ted Wheeler, to... also known as hashtag anyone but Charlie. Anyone but Charlie. Uh, and he really is pretty much anyone but Charlie because these two are, are virtual identical twins. They look a lot alike. Uh, they're both uh, rich white men. They are both uh, former Republicans that are now Democrats, even though it's a nonpartisan seat. And uh, they are both racing to be the most progressive mayor that they can be. I think it will definitely be a challenge for Wheeler to set himself apart. People are just now getting to know what his um, his take on things are. But they are are rushing to his side only because he's not Charlie Hales, who's left a trail of tears. He's left a trail of tears and, and a, more or less a trail, I wouldn't say failure, but just lack of leadership. He hasn't really done much. Uh, he doesn't really have... The current mayor, and actually in the entire city council, really doesn't have, no one has a mission statement. No one has a vision for the city. They just bounce from thing to thing, hoping that whatever they do will score some points somewhere along the way. I don't think that that's exactly how it started, though. I think that getting a street fee, that which was their big move, uh, what was it, over a year ago now, um, that that would have been their big visionary um, moment, except that they sort of bungled it so badly that it went down a very sad, sad death. Um, although, a sad, slow death. A sad, sad, slow death that is, that is being resurrected again, because if you... if if you uh, need to run on your only thing, you better fix it. So they got some help from City Club this week, last week, um, for there was a report by City Club on the, what should be done and advising advising the city of what to do. And, and what did they come out with? Well, the big recommendation that got the headlines was they recommended a gas tax. Uh, and the idea with the gas tax is it's a tax that would be imposed by the city. Under state law, you have to uh, have voters approve it, so it has to go to the voters. And the other thing about a gas tax is is that money is, by the Oregon Constitution, is mandated that it must go to street repairs. And uh, surprisingly, Steve Novick, uh, the, the transportation commissioner, uh, is in favor of that gas tax. Mayor Hales has now said he is against it. And he says he's against it because it's too small. He said that it's too, if it's too small, um, people will, people vote for things that are too small, but they won't vote for things that are too big and do anything, which I thought was a punt. My own suspicion in my black helicopter world is that Charlie doesn't like a gas tax because that money is committed to roads, and he wants money that he could spend on whatever he wants, like streetcars. 
Well, and and the street fee when they were asking for the millions of dollars a year, um, you know, forty three million was their first their first um, try. They did want more than what a gas tax would be able to bring in. He is right about that. But the problem with the city club report was that they didn't go through each individual possibility and reject it for the same things that we rejected it for when we were fighting it. It isn't that it's a gas tax. It's how the gas tax is implemented. Also, as people drive less and cars get more efficient, then that becomes a dwindling source. So you've expended all of this political capital to get it, and you're not going to get enough money to do anything. So Charlie's right in that. And interestingly, Wheeler is trying to, um, is supporting the gas tax as a concept because he wants to be, you know, well, he's supporting as a, as a, con, as a concept, concept, but he's also, um, he's not on city council right now. Right. He doesn't have to run on the gas tax as an issue. But that's going to be anyone who runs, though. Well, I, mean, I think, it, no, I mean, Novik wants to put it on the ballot as soon as possible, which means that when he's running for re-election, he's also going to be the one who's going to be in charge of the gas tax. I've said this before. Novik needs something to say that he did something and didn't waste his first term doing nothing. He did do something. What? He replaced all those street lights with LED lights. Oh, let's not go down that road. <laughs> but th- I mean, that was—I mean—that was the one thing he's done in three years that he can point to and say, "Look what I did." Um, right. That's wow. not something you can run on. That's not I would enough not run get- on that. <laughs> Not enough to get you reelected, and he and we've said this before about the street feed. That was his big issue, and and so he needs something to run on, whether it's a gas tax or not. I mean, he prefers the income tax, and uh, but again, every time they brought something up to throw that spaghetti against the wall, you know, the way they implemented it was always not right. So you know, it isn't whether there should be a gas tax or not, but whether it would work or not, whether it can be implemented or not, whether it's expensive to to implement. So we'll see what happens, but I think it is going to be the issue, not just in the Charlie versus Ted um, debates, but also Novik versus, versus who? Versus who is right. Um, where are we right now on that? I, th- I think there are two people who have actually filed against Novik. One of them is one of these perennial, you know, perma candidates that's always running and never wins. And uh, I think just likes to see his name on the ballot and there's easier ways to do that. Uh, but um, and then another one is Fred Stewart, an African-American uh, real estate agent up in uh, North Portland, who um, who's indicated that he was at one time a Steve Novick supporter, but has uh, also said that Novick has been a huge disappointment, uh, mainly because he hasn't done anything, but also because when he does do something, he, he tends to uh, he tends to make enemies along the way. Right. And and what is so surprising is that there aren't more people having declared. I mean, we're we are now into it. It's time. It's time now to come, you know, come forward and say throw your hat in the ring. And uh well Fritz is running for re-election, she says, and no one's come out um to face her either. So it just surprises me that at this point because there becomes a uh, you know, the clock is ticking and you have to get to May So for the primary. So the clock is ticking. Why aren't there more people? Why aren't there more viable candidates coming out for those two additional seats? Well, it's strange to me, too. If you look at it, you really have you have five people sitting on city council. Three of them are up for reelection and all of them, every single one of them is weak. Yeah. Someone could run against them and win. And if that happened, you can... In, change the entire face of city council absolutely you can actually turn it around and and make things 
completely different. He, maybe we could get things done on time and on budget. Three uh, out of five. I mean, that's three amazing. Out of five. You and, know, you know, and so right now you have, you know, in the mayor's race. I don't want to harp on this. You have two people who are, are essentially, you know, more or less joined at the hip. You know, I think it's going to be different though when it's style. I mean. Charlie Hales is always about the stick, always about raising money, always about being the dad who has to scold everyone for for not doing the right thing, and also jumps on opportunities when he can. We'll have to wait and see what um, Ted Wheeler's style would be as mayor. He may be a carrot kind of person who who offers you know conciliatory messages to to people. You know he may pick different issues to deal with. I mean there's going to be some that he can't help, but his pet projects won't probably be streetcars. Well, I'd like to see a vision. I want someone to have a vision, no matter who they are. They say, here's where the city is today. Here's where I'd like to see it in the future. They, Harry, can't they Harry, do that? You say that, but Charlie Hales did have a vision, which was to develop every square inch of the city into mixed use. I mean, he has gained, you know, Portland will never be the same after him. For all the mayors that I can remember, having lived here most of my life, he has had physically the most impact on our city. And people are crying uncle. You know, every, you can't drive up division, which, you know, is, is, putting tax, <clears throat> tax money into the coffers, which he loves, but because of every mixed-use building, it's beautiful. But we don't necessarily want every single street to look like division. And But he has done a great job of gentrification and, and great for his, his supporters who are builders and developers. And they really are his mm-hmm. supporters. As a matter of fact, we found out just this week that, what, 55%, more than half of his money, more than half of Charlie Hale's Re-election money is coming from real estate interests. He's done them some favors. He's done them a lot of favors. And part of it, most of the favors he's done is to just stand back and let them do whatever they darn well please, right? Right. And and being mayor at a time where the comp plan is being um, set in place for the next 20 years, I think he will have, among anyone else, the most far-reaching of vision. So when you complain about people not having vision, he's had vision. You don't have to like his vision, but he has had vision and he has gotten those things done. And when he walks away, he has put an imprint on Portland. It's not the Portland that we had before. It's not going to look the same. Or or rather, it's all going to look the same because all the buildings will have been built within 10 years. But, you know, it's going to have a certain look feel, and that's Charlie Hales. But that's his vision. But that's what we know his vision is. It's not what he's told us his vision is. He's never told us what his vision is. I don't think he'd say that my vision is to have uh, a subway and a Starbucks with a bunch of condos on top, you know, on every street. Sometimes it's not what you say. It's what you do or what you don't do. Which is why there's always a disconnect between what you say and what you do when you're running. And you see that in national politics, which is making this year extremely exciting because who knows what, you know, Sanders and and Trump would do if they were actually elected. But the, but the, what they're saying is very interesting and exciting and crazy. And, uh, and what they would do would probably be very different as it is for every candidate. Well, and that's the big question too. If you look in Portland, where, where's our Trump? Where's our Sanders? And why I mean Trump and Sanders, I mean someone who really, who's kind of viable, not just one of these perennial cranks or, you know, someone who, you know, runs around, I don't know, in a clown costume all the time, uh, you know, but who actually is quasi-serious and has some kind of cutting-edge ideas, ideas that really kind of turn our thinking on our heads and where they say, where a Portlander might say, hey, that's... 
that he's onto something now. Yeah, there. I think all across the country, and particularly in Portland, we're looking for bold. We're looking for bold and reasonable. But bold and exciting is good too. Bold and let's think outside the box. Let's let's tackle homelessness in a way that we have never approached before because whatever we've been doing, more of isn't going to work. We need to do something bold and interesting. If we want to fund our um, street maintenance, what can we do that's bold and interesting and viable and makes sense? That's a lot to ask from any well, candidate. That hits on something that I saw when we were at the... Uh, <clears throat> at the city club meeting on the street fee, and we had the public testimony. Backing up, my wife and I have noticed over the summer that something has fundamentally changed in Oregon, in Portland. Uh, Congestion has gotten worse. People have gotten crankier, uh, and hate to say it, bicyclists have gotten way more aggressive. And we say, gosh, what has happened? You don't hate to say that. I don't hate to say (laughs) that. It's the truth, and maybe they need to face the facts. But... Something has fundamentally changed where the city has hit a tipping point. I just thought maybe we're crazy. But then at that meeting, Bobby Regan, who was on the PPS school board uh, since dinosaurs walked the earth, uh, came up and really unloaded, saying exactly the same thing, that something has changed this summer where we've hit that tipping point, where we've got more congestion, where we've got people who are crankier. And I think there is that rage there, and I think there is space for our Trump or Sanders, and that person just needs to come out and say, I'm here. Well, I think we can do better than Trump. I mean, Trump, but but yes, the vibe of someone who says, I believe this, I think we can do this, and I can make that happen. And when they get some pushback from whatever side it is, says, no, I'm going to double down on doing the right thing. I'm going to double down on my message and really believe in it. And that kind of boldness, if someone came out of the woodwork for that... It would it would be it would change everything. Like I would love to have a guy. I'm just making pulling this out of the air. I would love to have a guy that says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come in and I'm going to shut down the streetcar. If they can't make that thing run on their own money, it's out of here. We're cutting it off the budget. Look, this bike share thing that they're talking about looks like it's supposed to be designed so it can run under its own steam, so it can make its own money. Why can't the streetcar? Why should we be subsidizing that thing to the tune of four and a half million dollars a year? leaving potholes empty just so that someone can not pay a fare on a streetcar. Cut them loose. Right. And and it may or may not be the streetcar, but if the candidate believed that to double down even when there's pushback, that's what I'm saying. That's the kind of boldness we're looking for. That's what I want. And then you wouldn't just be hashtag anyone but Charlie or hashtag anyone but Novick. And, you know, someone who comes out who's really a viable candidate who says strongly, this is what I believe in and I'm I'm able to say it. And and yes, I'm going to, there's going to be blowback, but I'm going to, I'm going to accept that too. And I think that's the message that Trump and Sanders are teaching us, and we need to learn it because people are craving authenticity, and even when it's a little nuts. <laughs> well, and bravery, and that's the problem. Bravery, you know, yeah, one of the courage. problems you have in in Portland is you we've got this whole kind of Portland polite, Portland nice thing where, you know, if you look at someone cross-eyed, they they wilt like a, a flower in the sun, and you know, may you need someone who says, you know, here's something different, and yes, gosh darn, it, I'm going to stand by that, and you think I'm stupid? Fine, tell me your idea that's better. You know, tell me your idea that's better. I That was one of the things that I think we've lost. We love public participation, and I'm starting to run around asking people, well, what do you think we should do about it then? It's not enough to just complain. It's an, You need to, to ask people and then listen. So but that we've talked about that before, so that will always be our message. Well, that's, my, <laughs> that's what I say now when people complain about all the people from California moving up here. I'm like, well, 
what's your idea? You know, what, are you going to be like a Trump and build a big, beautiful fence down in Medford to keep the Californians? I, what are you? What's your idea? What's your plan to keep them out? You can't keep them out. We're a free society. Right. But also, too, they bring a lot with them as well. I think that a good leader, though, could somehow have the message that we all should be nice to each other. I mean, there's a lot of animosity between the newcomers. And there always have been in Portland. I mean, we've always had these waves of people coming in because we're that cool. Right? Or well, that cool everyone and, knows and, about it thanks to the New York Times. And as expensive as we think our housing is here, to the Californians, we're cheap. And so we have cheap housing here in Oregon if you're coming from California. A lot of my best friends are from out of state. Well, I'm I mean, from out of state. <laughs> and technically I am too, originally, way back when. But it's, You're allowed to move from state right, to state right. in the United States. It isn't about that. It is about... The, the inability of our elected leaders to deal with the issues that come up when you have that kind of influx. It isn't that people are coming from California or that they're buying up properties. It is what do you do with the situations and the issues that come up past that? How are they handling people being displaced from affordable housing because we have none? And this, you know, they can talk about it all day long. The, by the time they end up figuring out how to bring on affordable housing online and build it and get the permits done because, you know, they're dealing with the city still, then, you know, the next city will be the big thing and we'll be left here still waiting to solve the problems. You have to be bold. You have to say, look, we have all these people coming in. This is great. Let's embrace them and figure out how to make it work instead of letting these polar sides be fighting it out in the Mercury comment section. You know? well, and you raised a point. You, you said we need to have something bold, and, and Charlie Hales has come up with something bold. But, again, this kind of demonstrates the lack of leadership and almost to the point of being unhinged because there's been this, this issue with people tearing down single-family homes and building multifamily condo bunkers and it's really hit a tipping point people are furious about it and part of it were these trees that were being cut down we'll talk about that in a second but charlie hales has come up with a bold new plan to deal with to deal with the demolitions and affordable housing all at the same time it's one of those things where he it's it probably sounded brilliant at the time but the more you think about it you're like what did i say because his idea is... He does that a lot, by the way. I think he does. Yeah. So I think he woke up in the middle of the night and he said, here's my idea. I'm going to charge developers $25,000 every time they tear down a house. And then we're going to take that $25,000 and we're going to use it to help affordable housing. So, But Eric, that sounds great. It's awesome, right? Because we make housing more affordable by making it more expensive. He, he seems to think that that $25,000 just comes out of the developer's back pocket no it gets fed into the price of the home which means that house prices go up and so i don't see how he can think that 20 is that twenty five thousand dollars in extra cost going to get funneled over to someone else where they pay twenty five thousand dollars less right and it, it's kind of it's a weird political fantasy world it looks good in the headlines it looks great in the headlines but i bet you he got back to the office after he announced that and his phone is ringing off his hook because where does he get all his money? From the real estate developers. I bet they said, Charlie, what the heck is going on? Were you on a bender? And <laughs> he, you know what he probably said to them? He said, hey, guys, you know, I was just joking. 
you know, I'm not really going to do that, but I got a headline. Eric, we don't know that. I think it was probably an idea he cooked up, and, and he likes to announce things without clearly vetting them, and we've seen that over and over again. But my question would be, why is it a stick and not a carrot? So what do we really need? We need affordable housing. So why not give incentives to builders to build affordable housing? And so have it come from something that would increase the amount of money going into their pockets, not taking it out. So instead of building these $600,000 houses, they would build something that's smaller and more affordable for the middle class. And we're not talking subsidies, right? There's no. other things you could do, right? You can, yeah, you can waive fees and you can make the process easier for permitting and you can, you know, make incentives and tax breaks and things like that. And I think that that would be clearly the way to go. Let the market build the houses because it's incentivized for them rather than punishing them for building the houses that the market is. There is a market for those big houses and for tearing down single family homes and building these bigger things. So so I think that it could be more creative. It could be a win for everyone. But just to say blanket, we're going to charge people 25000 and, and put it into a pipeline of money that we're not going to see benefit from for several years. Well, it's funny because if you look at you know, movies like gangster movies, ma- mafia movies are always like this. House of Cards is like this. If you look at the successful leader guy, what is every time he tries to get someone to do something, he's offering them both a carrot and a stick. Yeah. He never says, if you do this, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to destroy you. They say, if you do this, you'll get something really great. And if you don't do it, something bad might happen. Right. Charlie and city council as a whole is really almost always sticks. Right. You know, they always want it. It's always you do something I, I don't like and we're going to do something to hurt you. Never, never here. We're going to help you out. Uh, we're going to try to make things better. Our vision, you know, we're going to dangle that carrot ahead of you to make you walk the way we want. We'd right. like to see, see win, things win. go. Win-win. Well, everyone should win-win. Everyone <laughs> should win-win. Yeah. And we should all win. And, and uh, so there you go. So some people who are, are locked in battle and no one's winning is about these trees. I want to touch on that very quickly, that down in East Moreland, there are these very tall sequoias that have been there for over 130 years. And uh, a developer bought the property and demolished a house on the property and has plans to cut down these huge trees. And there's a couple of issues. And it's not just there. Well, it's going on everywhere. Well, there's also a place along just off Division Street where they're cutting down a bunch of 100-year-old trees. Someone even climbed up into the tree and is living on peanut butter sandwiches, right? But they're climbing into the trees in East Moreland now, too. Oh, okay. The sequoias. I mean, it's, it, they've, they've got a vigil going that's been for a while. And Ted Wheeler stopped by and said, why can't we save the trees? And, and it, you know, honestly, you have these competing forces where, you know, it is someone's property and they should have the ability to do what they want with their property. And on the other hand, you have people who have livability in their neighborhoods and they want to have continued livability in their neighborhoods. And so these competing interests... And and, you know, the city, city Hall is throwing up their hands and saying, well, it's private property. We can't do anything about it. And the codes aren't – the codes um, don't allow us to stop it. And then the um, – maybe it's not really true. I mean, could City Hall stop those trees from coming down? There had the the protesters are saying that certain certain things weren't followed, certain steps in the in the permit process weren't followed. City Hall can do pretty much anything it wants when it wants to do it. Whenever it says it can't do something, it just means it doesn't want to. Because when they you know, think about all those trees that were cut down uh, near PSU to make room for the streetcar, right. I mean, there were probably thirty or forty trees. That I were, was there the day, and I I tell you, I cried. 
they were, it was devastating. I stood there and cried. I was a couple of blocks away from the city building where all that permitting happens and, and just watching them come down. It was tragedy and great. It's a lovely street, uh, max train now that goes to Milwaukee and there's a lot of benefits from it, but those trees that they couldn't have come up with something a little bit more creative. They had to run down exactly that street. It was devastating. And I felt powerless as a citizen watching these trees. I, understand the people in East Moreland who are standing there next to these huge I mean they're 27 feet across at their base these trees that have been there for everyone's whole life you know everyone who's been alive has been here with these trees and I understand their feelings of powerlessness and they just want to protect them and I get that so what stuns me is that the developer is not seeing the benefits of some great PR here and that the city hall doesn't see that negotiating some kind of win for everyone would be in the best interest of not just the trees, but in Portlanders and their hearts and minds. And that's where the leadership comes in. And backing up a little bit, you know, I I had two trees in my my yard that were dead. Mm -hmm. And I made sure that those trees came out last year because in January, it was like 600 bucks to get a permit to cut a tree on your own property. That's ridiculous. Even the tree's dead. So you saw a lot of buzzsaws going on toward the end of last year. But on the leadership thing, if you think about it, you hear about those trees getting cut down. And just because you can do something, just because you're allowed to cut down a tree doesn't mean you should. And just because the city's powerless to stop them, whether they are or not, that doesn't... Why can't city staff or the mayor call up that developer and say, hey, you know, I know you're allowed to do it, but... You can't knock it off. You know, you kind of, you know, that's where you get the soft power. That is, that is absolutely true. What we see on television is not how all the politics happens. What happens is that little message of saying, hey, you know, we'll figure this out. We can all work together. And um, providing those moments of leadership uh, as a way out. It's almost as if you offer a bridge to someone. That developer has got to have his back to the wall now. He He feels like everything is against him. Why not offer him some path out? That's true leadership. Yeah. And exactly. Make it a win-win. Make it a win-win. you got to think win-win. So what does the developer need and want? Well, he needs a way out and with saving face. And what does the neighborhood want? Well, they want to keep the trees. You know, they were raising money to um, to buy the property out. So I can't imagine that there wasn't some, you know, incentives or some tax breaks or something that could have helped them do that. So there are all kinds of things that can be done. And I think some creative thinking, you know, needs to happen in that situation, especially particularly Particularly now, it's raining and there are people camped out in those trees. Yes. Yeah. But they want to be there. They're saving the trees. They're saving the trees. I know. And but let's let's give them a way that they can win. Give as them well. a give them a way. I'm out. telling you, Eric. Yeah. It's all about win win. It's all about win win. So we are probably about done. We got trees. We're exhausting we got... our listeners' <laughs> patience. I'm sure. Well, there's so much to talk about. And there is. So... We haven't even finished the list. It, we never finished the list. Never, there. Gosh, it's and there is some ending. good stuff. I want to talk about how the new uh, the new uh, light rail line is is actually making traffic worse in parts of the town. Eric, we can talk about that next time. Okay. What about Common Core scores? Next time. Next time. Okay. Everything's next time, Eric. Manana, manana. Okay. Well, I guess with that, we should sign off. I'm Eric Fruits, and I'm Ann Sanderson. And thanks for listening.